A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Oh, I'm Mike and Kennedy here with the latest Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. And if last weekend was dominated by Jack Grealish, the week that followed has been taken over by his owl lad. Step aside, Jack, I've got mm-hmm. this, said Kevin Grealish once the interview requests started flooding in. And nothing that Grealish Sr. had to say indicated that his son will be playing for the Republic of Ireland senior team anytime soon, Ken? Uh, no, not really. Um, <laughs> but it's great, isn't it, though, that the dad can finally get the credit he deserves uh, for having sired this uh, young uh, this young man, Jack Grealish. He's so impressed uh, two countries and maybe many more at Wembley uh, last Sunday. So... It's great that uh, he's he's out there and uh, and and lapping lapping up the acclaim. The other man who has stormed into this debate is Martin Samuel of the Daily Mail. Wrote a, an incendiary piece yesterday, or certainly it uh, it fanned the flames of passion here in Ireland. Ken? Well, in fairness, I don't think it takes much to fan those particular flames. Uh, the the subject that uh, Martin Samuel is writing about it sort of touches on Irish English relations and. Uh, it's it's notoriously on a subject that Irish people have a, have a habit of getting a bit chippy about. So I don't think actually Martin Samuel's tone really was that incendiary, but I do think he made a couple of, I would say, mistakes in the in the piece. I think I think a couple of his points were were wrong, but you know he maybe he hasn't spent quite as long thinking about these things as. As we have, we'll get to that with Richie Saddle in a little while. We've also got Sid Lowe over in Madrid after last night's victory for Real. Let's start though with I think Bayern can and their rampage in the Champions League. It's the report on sport. So Bayern, I mean, we were sitting here on Monday wondering how everything was going to affect them with Müller Wolfhart, uh, Müller Wolfhart leaving with the medical staff, and whether that pointed to any cracks, you know, in the edifice uh, around Pep Guardiola and. It appears that his relationship with the players, anyway, is uh, A-OK. Because when have you ever seen a team deliver a performance like that on command? I mean, that was... Porto were not great. Their goalkeeper, Fabiano in particular, was terrible. Um, I mean, there was one goal that went in that reminded me so much of the Mandzukic goal. Remember the first goal against Ireland in, in uh, 
the Euros where it was like, what? Hang on, that's just got... It was the, the Boateng header. I, how did that end up in the net? Seriously, how did that end up in the net? Mandzukic won against Ireland, if I remember correctly. The ball was... So it floated across to him and he headed it with very little power but it skidded and Shea Given couldn't Somehow reach it. Somehow ended up in the net. Um, it just got it snuck in there after a while and uh, and I had that feeling with, with both things. And then looking at that it seemed as though the goalkeeper had almost pulled his hand back you know but it seemed maybe he'd stumbled maybe he's trying to he didn't want to hit the ground painfully I don't know. Owen. Uh, and then obviously he lifted his leg uh, to allow Thomas Muller's deflected shot through but you know that's again it's just a just these things happen, I suppose. Bayern also scored some very good goals. Um, the first goal by Thiago. Thiago was maybe their best player. Um, heading in, a brilliant cross by Bernat. Lewandowski really delivered, because that was so much pressure on him for that game as well. You know, especially the way they were expecting it to go, um, with, with Porto defending deep and not giving any space and defending in the box. Uh, and it, a lot of the onus was going to be on Lewandowski to find a couple of inches of space in the box that they were going to need. Of course, it turned out to be just a bit of a turkey shoot in the end. But Lewandowski, even at nil-nil, you could see the kind of desire that he had to get into the box to to get back onto that rebound from Muller's shot. That he, he I mean, he it was so impressive that he was there to get that because he, he had essentially wrestled his way past two defenders to be first to that ball, uh, which showed, I think, his, his mood for the game. And... Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't argue with a performance like that. Who incredible. knows? Maybe the players at Bayern Munich were starting a little bit sick of all Wolfhard. Maybe they were thinking we don't necessarily want to be overshadowed. Well, the goal, the doctor in this club is more famous than us. Well, Robin actually said, uh, "Well, I'm, obviously, I'll continue to see him. He's the best doctor I've ever met." <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I mean, I'll totally keep going to see uh, Mother Wolfhard. I mean, that's that's not up for debate. So, <laughs> I guess he'll just have to do that in his own time. The performance of. Thomas Muller in particular, I thought, was fairly incredible. It, it strikes me, Muller's a weird one. Anytime he gets talked about, but his goals record is ridiculous. He's going to end up scoring more goals than anyone else ever has in a World Cup if he keeps going. Yeah, injury permitting, I would say. Could end up being one of the top European scorers, albeit Messi, Ronaldo, there's a bit of catching up to do there. But his strike rate is phenomenal. He sh- his, he's not actually selfish. Hmm. If, if the pass is on, as it was in that little heads and body goal, that was scored was that one of the Lewandowski goals the that header was brilliant yeah, yeah Lamb volleying, volleying it back over to Muller who volleys it on to Lewandowski who heads it in it strikes me that he's a really really good player uh, and but people are a bit grudging about the respect that they give him maybe, um, maybe that's a, maybe he could be almost like a Zlatan figure maybe this, the English media for some reason and that's what we would consume most uh, don't necessarily they do give him his dues but they do it in a slightly backhanded way at times it's because, uh, well, I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I voted for him in the World Cup, or rather, when I say I voted for him in the World Cup, I was all set to vote for him, and then I found out I couldn't vote. It's like, what the hell? What do you mean, vote? For the World Cup Golden Ball. Oh. So, um, it, it used to be decided by the journalists, and then they somehow changed it last year. I, I can't remember. I mean, obviously, Messi won it. Um, there was a shortlist, but... There was no vote on it, but I was all set to. I'm going to cast my vote for Thomas Muller. I've been I've been so impressed by that guy. I went to six of their games in the World Cup, and he was, I think, their best player. And they were obviously the best team. So I thought, okay, fair enough. We'll vote for him. But he, uh, yeah, no, he didn't win it. I mean, it's another case maybe of him not getting the credit he deserves. But Gabriel Marcotti had written an interesting piece about him, 
um, where he, uh, well, he had this line. Yeah. Nobody with so little in terms of technical ability has achieved so much. And I thought, you've gone there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, n- nobody's... Uh, and essentially that, uh, that McCarty makes the argument, uh, go ahead, I dare you, count the attacking players who started in the first leg of the quarterfinals and see how many you can count who, strictly in terms of technique, rank behind Muller. My guess is you won't need more than a couple of fingers. So he's saying this guy is not, is not really... In terms of technical ability, he's average. You know, he he, he uh, makes the point. Has the stamina to run all day, all night into next week. He's quick uh, for someone who's six foot one. He's he's strong. Um, uh, he says in the, if the, if the Champions League quarterfinals said the equivalent of the NFL combine, he'd be off the charts in those areas. And then when it came to the actual ball and things like passing, shooting, controlling, and dribbling, they would like be groaned. Um, the two things that he says. Um, uh, the, the things that he says Miller has, essentially, aside from, leave aside the athleticism, which is, uh, which is outstanding, is the kind of his understanding of space. He sees the field differently, not as something defined by positions, but by tasks, by knowing what to do next. So he can kind of play in any position. He's extremely versatile, just has a, you know, this quality of knowing how to play football, which not every footballer has to the same degree. Muller has to an exceptional degree. Even if, you know, in terms of his handling of the ball, he's not necessarily... The greatest, he just knows what he should be doing, and frequently. But the other thing that he mentions, this is an interesting point. Um, says he's talking to a director of football at a major European club. We don't, we don't know who that is. Um, enough people in the game have noted it, noted that you have to take the word. Muller is at once conscious of his limits and courageous enough to test them. So this is a quote from the director. He's totally unafraid to take the difficult shot or hit the difficult pass. At big clubs, there's a hierarchy of talent. You don't see Busquets trying to do what Messi does. John Terry doesn't do what Eden Hazard does. Muller takes liberties, not because he thinks he's more talented than he is, but because a knack, he has a knack for knowing when to take what for him is a low percentage shot, which other players of his ability would pass up. I'm not sure it's something you can teach, but it's a hugely valuable skill. I think there is something in that. I mean, um, players who... You know, for instance, the, the, the example of the, the midfield player who never scores a goal. You can think of a few. James McCarthy... Latter day Roy Keane. Well, he 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 would have given it. He would have given it a go. He just couldn't get into the box anymore. You know, uh, Lucas Leiva, maybe you know what I mean. Uh, Busquets, yeah. Busquets, not, not, never, not they never, never score. score no, even if they had a chance to shoot, they wouldn't do it. You know, it's it's like nah, don't think so. It's I don't do that. I don't go that way. Muller, on the other hand, sizes up the situation, takes. Oh, and you could say takes each situation on its merits. And if the best option for him is to have a go, as he did in that game, I mean, he took a shot from way out, which was never going in, and ends up scoring a goal out of it or getting a goal out of it against Porto. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I suppose what McCarty is essentially saying is here's a player whose mental gifts are gigantic and whose technical gifts are hmm, average yeah. enough. But I, I think... I think his technical gifts... And Marcotti, that's it's handy that that article came out today because that's articulating in a much more intelligent manner what I was trying to say originally that is that people see him as some as a guy who's limited enough in in terms of his skill level his technical level but has all these other gifts that make up for it he looks pretty damn skillful to me yeah it's just this the kind of skills that he, I mean he doesn't try to dribble usually I mean he's a bit of he's a bit gangly for you know to be sort of dribbling past people um, I mean if you look at great dribblers you're thinking, you know, even Hazard in, in the Premier League, obviously Messi, 
Maradona, Suarez, these these kind of players are all nearly as thick as they are tall. You know what I mean? They're 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 chunky, chunky guys who um have that ability to sort of change direction. Muller is a is a lanky. Like he's the skinniest legs. He's like a almost mini Peter Crouch. His yeah, but he's is, strong though. Oh there, yeah. There was a moment for the the goal in the second half that he held off a defender. Once once Muller has beaten a player, I know that's not his game. Certainly dribbling isn't his game. But when the space is great and he's beaten a player, the defender can, that defender stays beaten. Defender stays beaten. Well, here's the, the last thing from this. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just basically relaying Gabriel Mercati's thoughts. So uh, He won't mind. We're, hopefully, we're crediting. It's all good. Hopefully, hopefully he doesn't mind. Hopefully the listeners don't mind either. <laughs> he's like, I read this we article have, yesterday. We have no Why are you talking here, about here, this? Here, he makes the point. Vial, uh, Gianluca Vialli and Paolo Rossi sat in a TV studio and played an age-old game, finding parallels in the past for players in the current buying side. Robert Lewandowski, for example, was compared to Marco van Basten for the elegance of, movement, of his movements and accuracy and simplicity of his side foot finishes. When it came to Muller, they were stuck. They couldn't find a single player to whom you could compare him. I don't know, Alan, can you think of anyone? The first man who popped into my head was Ian Ormondroyd, but to be fair, Ian, well, Thomas Muller's a lot better than him. The first man that popped into my head was Harry Kane, but to be fair, it's probably not right to compare... To say, oh, Muller's a bit like that Harry Kane guy no. who's, the, who's only a has only appeared in the last six months, really. Thomas Muller is a 10 goals in the World Cup, man. 10 goals in the World Cup is 10 goals in the World Cup, 25 years. It is interesting though, that we have thought of players with tech with limited technique <laughs> to compare <laughs> Muller to while trying to argue that he's got amazing <laughs> technique. We should be comparing him to, I don't know, I don't know, Yari Littmanen. Yari Littman. Would he be that type of... Yari Littman had a lot of technical ability. I don't think anyone was would ever have written an article claiming no player with less technical ability has ever achieved... You know, he was a player, I think he had, he had a very intelligent movement. He was maybe more of a more of a deep, uh, more of a provider than Muller. You know, he was into his He's like a fast Teddy Sheringham. Uh, yeah, maybe that's not you a know, bad... Teddy Sheringham was always the, the first five yards in his head. That's well, not Muller a bad has comparison. the first five yards in his head, but he's also got the the next five yards in his feet. Yeah, therefore, is at a higher level than Sheringham was. I, I think I think fast Teddy Sheringham was actually one of the best best I've heard of. You should text that to Gianluca Vialli and Gabriele Marcotti. And, you and might Marcotti. not know what the hell I'm talking about. What else you got here? Um, so yeah, I mean the the other Champions League, Barcelona, very impressive. Uh, people keep saying, you know, David Luiz isn't that good. You know, all I'm saying is, look. He didn't have his best couple of games against Barcelona, but if he's the only, if he's going to be the only defender who's made to look bad by those guys, I mean they're going to break the record for um, goals by a Barcelona forward line this season. I think the, the record is 100 by Eto, Henri, and Messi in 2008-2009. So they're five or six goals off that. Six, either after or before last night. I can't remember. Neymar scored a couple, so. They're obviously going to break that record. They made a lot of defenders look bad. David Luiz, tall poppies, you know what I mean? I do know. He's a mean. bloody great player, Ron. Yeah. Yous are all idiots. <laughs> and you can print um, that. To, just one other thing on um, on the Champions League, uh, which we will talk about a bit more uh, with uh, Seda and with Richie, is uh, there was a story reported on Bloomberg uh, that Borussia Dortmund have... Um, actually taking out an insurance policy. They took out an insurance policy against failing to get into the Champions League. This is quite an interesting one. Um, essentially, uh, 
they've they've now they're now in the third year of this contract, which it looks as though they're going to have to now activate. Looks as though they're actually going to get paid for failing to qualify for the Champions League. Um, so no one is no one is quite sure what the details are of their premium. Say, for instance, the last season they made thirty four point seven million euros from the Champions League, and it looks as though next season that figure will be zero. So they've taken out an insurance policy in order to give them back some of that lost money. Uh, obviously, their premium would have been high enough because it's not as though they're guaranteed to get in the Champions League. Um, so Bloomberg had spoken to some people who, who work in insurance and they said, well, for instance, if you're Real Madrid, you might have to pay half a million euros a year because they've been in the Champions League every season since 1997. They're going to qualify mm-hmm. for it. So uh, the premium is that with Dortmund, maybe it's going to be higher, you know, a good bit, a good bit higher because there's every chance of them having the kind of season they've just had. Now, the interesting thing about it, though, is that, well, for instance, Jurgen Klopp and the players couldn't be told about it. There was a clause in the contract saying they couldn't know about this because uh, they had, to, because essentially if they were aware that the consequences of failure were actually a little bit less severe than they maybe believed them to be, then that reduces their incentive not to fail. You've got a, it's kind of a moral hazard situation. You can't actually mm. take out... An English club is not allowed to take out a, um, a, an insurance policy like this. They can only insure themselves against things like, oh, say if we win the treble and suddenly we have to pay all our players like a million pounds bonuses each. You can insure against that because that's like a positive outcome. You know, if you... If you you take winning the treble and having to pay bonuses. You would, t- you would take that. You know what I mean? Whereas the, the whole thing of insuring yourself against the against not getting into the Champions League then suddenly makes it less imperative upon you to get there. It reduces your motivation for getting there. Yeah, but it doesn't motivate you not to get there. No, but but it does reduce your motivation. It's still a lot better to be in the Champions League and not have to take the insurance money than taking not. Taking out the insurance... The problem is essentially that taking out the insurance policy makes it more likely that the outcome that the insurance policy is supposed to be protecting against will occur. Is that, or rather reduces your motivation to avoid that. It makes it, oh, well, it's a bad thing, but hey, at least we've got that massive insurance check. You know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Yeah. That, it's surprising, to be honest, that they're even allowed to do that. Premier League? Um, yeah, Arsenal-Chelsea is a big one. Um, so, yeah, Arsenal-Chelsea is a big one this weekend. Arsene Wenger has, been refused to, has refused to be drawn on the subject of whether Jose Mourinho is a genius <laughs> is that, this could be the first question he's refused to answer his entire career is, is he a genius Austin um, look you're the judge you watch the games it's not for me to assess my job is to focus on my team uh, and to prepare my team your job is to assess all the geniuses you can meet I leave you that job <laughs> that's a good answer uh, the result on Sunday will be down to the performance we're on a good run and we have an opportunity at home to beat them um he also asked the Arsenal fans to respect Cesc Fabregas um, and said he didn't regret not buying him back. The regret I have is that he wanted to leave here. The club and myself had a very positive influence on Cesc's life, so I would be a bit uncomfortable to have to justify today why he is not here. I believe I would rather it was the other way around. So he wishes he hadn't left, but once he had left, that was it. He wasn't going to crawl him back to him. He wasn't going to invite him back. Well, that doesn't make any sense. He invited Thierry Henry back. Well, he only invited Thierry Henry back for like five minutes. I mean, that was like, do you mean when Thierry Henry came back yeah. and scored a goal against Leeds? Yeah. Ah, come on, it's hardly the same thing. Like, I mean, he'd probably invite Cesc Fabregas back for, for five games on loan 
But he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a a moral stance against re-signing old players. No, no, well, I think I think he was he was disappointed in Fabregas at the time. Maybe he felt a little bit betrayed. But also, there's the fact that he'd be bringing back a Fabregas who was now older, was now maybe a little bit closer to the point at which you'd have to start thinking about selling him again. Was obviously getting paid a lot more, and this is all having already spent you know, three seasons restructuring the team, essentially forgetting about Fabregas, and suddenly to bring him back in. Too many sort of disruptions, too many potential pitfalls. I'm sure he still thinks Fabregas is a great player, but uh, he decided that it wouldn't have been worth bringing him back. So, like one more quick piece of news? Uh, yeah, Jordan Henderson is over the moon to have signed a new contract with Liverpool. 100 grand a week is, the, uh, is what he's accepted for five years. Okay. If only certain other uh, players at the club would would uh, be so gentlemanly about things, I imagine. Um, it's brilliant for me to commit my future to this football club, says Jordan Henderson. I feel it's a good time for us to look forward to the future with the squad we've got, the manager, the size of the club, and the fans we've got. I really think over the next few years we can challenge and start winning trophies. The next phase for us is to start challenging for tri- titles and trophies as well. Um, Brendan Rodgers is speaking today. I saw reported by Tony Barrett. Um, first of all, that Daniel Sturridge thing continues to rumble on. And you can see Rogers get Rogers getting a little bit more open about this now. I think every time he talks about Daniel Sturridge, he gives an answer which essentially boils down to, we don't know what's wrong with him. Be great, be great if he was fit, but, you know, ev- you evidently he's not. So we wait, uh, we abide. But there is a, there are a couple of good quotes uh, from Brendan Rogers. Um uh, he says, we're, uh, we've, we've reached two semifinals and we're fifth in the league. We are on par for where we're at as a club. So this is, he was saying earlier in the season that the target was to win something and finish in the top four, but uh, par has been shifted downwards. But Rodgers also says, uh, Tony Barrett reports, I don't think there's anyone better to manage Liverpool. Three months ago, I was a tactical genius, so I never get too carried away. This is the same Brendan Rodgers who... Well, a source close to Brendan Rodgers had done those articles last month, Alan. You, you will remember them. We spoke about them at the time. They, some might have said those articles uh, with the Daily Mail and the Times constituted something of a premature lap of honour uh, from the man or the source close to the man who had single-handedly rescued Liverpool season. Uh, but he never gets too carried away. And that is a direct quote from the man, not from a source close to the man. That's it for today's edition of Canary's Report on Sport. All right, that's, that's good manners. A number of the players have played with are still in the squad. I wonder, did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job? No, absolutely not. No, 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 obviously none of their business, you know, what I was going to do. It's a ridiculous question. <laughs> we want to win football matches. There's nothing to tame, you know, some sort of animal, you know what I mean? And you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do. He makes me look like, what a Teresa. You know, he's a... Um, <laughs> No, no, we want to win football matches. We've had a lovely few days. The hotel's been lovely. Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, We've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? You well? You you may not have realised this at the time, but you were at war last night. 
with one of the greatest footballers in Premier League history, Thierry Henry. Uh, you made a point which was only talked about briefly yesterday about the uh, celebration of Cristiano Ronaldo on his assist, celebrating that one quite wildly. And there's some great photos today. James Rodriguez actually jumped over Hernandez. Hernandez jumps on the ground, right? Thinks everyone's going to come piling on me here. Ronaldo's going to pile. That's why I want piling on me here. James is initially the guy who comes in and... You can see the boots just sailing over the head of Hernandez. Yeah, and there's some good snaps today where, where uh, James is over one side. Ronaldo is doing his own celebration. He kind of veers off. And there's an awkward moment where, is anybody going to jump on <laughs> jump on for Hernandez? But you had a little bit of sympathy for Hernandez there. Or it was just a point about Ronaldo liking to celebrate his assists as much of his, as, as his goals. Henri, as people are well aware at this stage, reckons that Hernandez should have been down on hands and knees thanking Cristiano Ronaldo for giving him that assist. What do you think? Yeah, I didn't realise that was said until this morning. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. What's he saying? That the, 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 the creator of a goal should always get the credit and should be the focus of the celebration. No, he was saying, Hernandez, know your place. So as a hierarchy thing, it was... Uh, was that it, do you think, Ken? More yeah, because so? he, he made the point that Hernandez had missed a lot of chances and Ronaldo had created... The, Ronaldo did all the difficult part of the goal. This is Henri. And I actually thought Hamas did the difficult part. But Ronaldo did all the difficult part. And then Hernandez scored a tap-in. And then, as Henri said, he ran away as though he'd won the World Cup. I like the idea that Hernandez is robbing the limelight from Ronaldo. Like, there's no possible more amount of attention that one player in the world could be given than Ronaldo is given at the moment. He's, he's a like, world player of the year. Everyone talks about him and writes about him. He's a people, person people speak to. So if Henri's point is that he's stealing his thunder a little bit. What Henri even like, said, he said, look, shut the, up. He said, look, the camera even knows. The camera follows Ronaldo. The camera knows who is the, the person who should be celebrated here, which is true. The camera did follow Ronaldo because that's what he's it Ronaldo. always does. He's Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, and it's completely, completely idiotic. But I think it did, as you were saying earlier to me, Owen, give an interesting insight into the workings of Thierry Henry's mind. Yeah, I just felt that Henri clearly things politically about these things politically yeah. in a football sense so I'm, I'm imagining him scoring a goal right after Freddie Lundberg for example does some great approach work and Henri straight away is thinking right well you know I've got to work the, work the room here a little bit so I'm going to keep my calm here I'm going to go over and give, give some Jews to Freddie Lundberg here yeah. which is in fairness probably what Henri would have done it was a great goal by me Freddie but don't take away anything from your pass yeah don't take away anything from that. It's just that lack of authenticity around... Oh. Uh, God, God forbid that a player could just be overwhelmed with joy at the <laughs> having finally banged in a goal, having missed several chances. The whole thing. Henri rarely was, though. Henri uh, rarely was himself a guy to get carried away by a goal. So I, I'd, say he was. I'd say he was able to think immediately after he scored, what's the best way of celebrating? It's because goal? he actually has no human emotions. <laughs> he's just he's free of human emotions. He's the coldest... He's the coldest man I've ever seen on television or, or playing football. <laughs> and he's just not affected by things. Now, Hernandez was having a practically a breakdown in, in the minutes leading up to that goal. I mean, he'd missed chance after chance in, in either half. You could hear the crowd are getting on his back. He's there going, oh, no, you know, this is a disaster. This is a disaster. And then finally, he knocks one in. The place goes mad. He knows he's won the game. He goes mad. I think he's allowed to do that. I've been in the scenario many times where having missed repeatedly chance after chance in a game and, and from experience of having done that before several times, you know that you're going to be the focus of the post-match chat, whether it's in the dressing room or among the supporters or in the papers or whatever. So when you arrive at a, at a moment late in the game and you score, and I've done that as well, you go, right, well, there's the initial buzz that you've scored, 
there's the impact you're making on the scoreline. You could possibly have won the, or drawn the game for your team, but you also know that you personally are off the hook. Mm. Now you're not going to your misses aren't going to be discussed. <laughs> it's your goal that's going to be discussed, and and when it's so late in the game, it's probably a result clincher. So then to think in those moments with all those things going on in your head that you would then have the wherewithal to go, do you know what? I'm lower in the pecking order than Ronaldo. He, 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 he's earned this moment. I need to go over and point to him and hug him. Did you ever fall down, collapse with cramp immediately after scoring a great goal and have to be hauled off? I haven't had <laughs> as, as appeared to happen to yeah. him. He seemed to be in bits. I don't know if the celebration was... Took it out of him. Yeah, I don't know if it was the celebration that took it out of him or the, the goal itself. But we want to talk to you mostly today, Richie, about uh, Jack Grealish, who... We talked quite a bit about Jack Grealish in the show on Monday, but since then it's gone into overdrive, particularly because of the attention he's been given in the in the British media. Uh, we'll have a little listen to one of the few interviews, uh, at least a couple of interviews. That it's not that common for the father of a footballer to go around doing interviews after he's played a big game. But anyway, this is Kevin Grealish chatting to Talksport on uh, Alan Brazil's Sports Breakfast. Tell me, tell me a little bit, Jack. Where did Jack grow up? Did he grow up here or over in Ireland? Where did he grow no, up? No, no, no. My parents uh, are Irish, Kerry and Galway. And uh, my wife's uh, father is uh, Dublin. Yeah. And uh, actually, I, I was born in uh, Birmingham, like, and uh, Jack was born in Solihull. That's where we're from, Solihull. And uh, we, we, just, we just played for Ireland at the age of 14, and we just went with the flow. But now... Everybody's talking a bit serious about it now and saying this and that and what you're going to do. And, you know, so it's, over the last few months, I've been asked the question. Mm. I think the heavy breathing you could hear there was Alan Brazil's. I was wondering if it was me, but actually it was him. It seemed to me that uh, old Kevin Greedish there was quite quick to be very clear that Jack was born in England and yep. uh, that they just went with the flow when playing for the Irish underage teams. Would you be concerned? <sighs> what goes with the flow? Dead feet. Yeah, I'm sure he could have been. Could have been told that now if he'd uh, if he bothered to ask the former assistant manager at Aston Villa. What do you think of the, this situation now, especially with, especially with his dad going around doing these interviews? That's the first area of concern I would have. If 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 if, if his father is putting himself forward for for that role, I assume he is a prominent role in in Jack's decision making process. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. You would be concerned about a parent who thinks that he should be the one out doing interviews on national radio. He yeah. was uh, he was saying I heard him on Five Live as well, mm. uh, and he was telling um, you know why do I always have a mental block over the guy's name? Well, well who's the guy? To be presented match of the day too. Chappers, Mark Chapman. Mark Chapman. He was telling Mark, why can't I like, always disrespect Mark Chapman? It's like he's a good presenter. Mr. He's very, very professional. Yeah. He's 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 a he's a bloody good, bloody presenter. good presenter. Chappers. He was doing the Monday Night Club uh, with Robbie Savage. Robbie Savage had some classic lines in that, actually, you know. Uh, I think Chappers asked him, we'll get back to the point here. Chappers was asking him, you know, why do Liverpool struggle to win these big games? And uh, Robbie Savage went, well, you know, they they couldn't beat Manchester United when the chips were down, couldn't beat Arsenal, couldn't beat Aston Villa. At some point, you've got to ask, why can they not win anything? <laughs> anyway, uh, Chapp- Chappers was talking to, to Kevin uh, Greedish, and uh, I was, at some point, Greedish the Kevin Greedish media tour. He revealed that he was wearing Jack's shirt from the game. I'm still wearing the shirt. He actually he talked about it again. The thing, you know, uh, he'd been wearing it for like 24 hours, you know, since the game, and this was this was something that he chose to reveal off his own bat, you know. Yeah, yeah. His dad was going around wearing his match shirt. You don't tell me. Greedish, don't, Greedish got home. Greedish went out after the semi final. Came back with his. 
came back, uh, had his gear with him, whatever, left the... So it was back in the early hours of the morning, left his jersey, I think, on the back of the couch or something like this for his dad, maybe with a note or something like that. I could be inventing the note. This story's weird enough as it is. No need to, no need to invent stuff. The note so would leaves, nice. He leaves the jersey there for his dad to get the next morning. So his dad wakes up the next morning and says, oh, Kevin's a massive Villa fan, his father. Oh, uh, you, the young lad is such a great guy. He's giving me this jersey. Even though it's way too small for me, as I think he admitted, I'm going to shove it on there and wear it around for the next 24 hours. He's, no, he, that's just being a proud father, isn't it? God, my dad must have thought nothing of me or my career. <laughs> never never once asked for any jersey I ever wore and never wore it around for 24 hours yeah. after a game I played. It is, you're right. It's, it's just odd. I mean, it's nothing like, be clear, I'm not, not slagging him for being proud or being really involved in his son's career and, and, and enjoying every moment of mm. it. He should. It's not going to last forever. And he, he's right. Um, <laughs> in saying all that, just take a back step. Just a little bit. Well, I just think the clip that we played there, it just to go back to it, is significant enough. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I just feel the, the go with the flow comment, there was nothing in that that suggested. No, he, said, he said both his own parents are from Ireland and wasn't his, his wife's... Father. father is mm. from Dublin so there's definitely a strong Irish connection but it doesn't sound as though he's he's not going around saying listen I brought this kid up as Irish this kid is that's how he feels anything like that so it is leaving it quite open to interpretation at the moment I, I, I think a, a lot of when, when you discuss who a player will play for when he has got more than one option some of the conversation people limit it to their sense of national identity of which country which anthem which territory do they do they most identify with I don't think that's the issue here because at his age already he would be clear on that. What I think what he's doing here is clearly seeing he's hedging his bets a little bit and seeing which for the best of his career and the advancement of his career what's the right decision here. Mm-hmm. So romantic notions about national identity and patriotism I, I don't think they belong here in, in his actual decision making because I think he's just going to wait up and say if, he, if, he, if it was down to that if he was waiting and going to make his decision on his sense of nationalism, he would know that by now. Well, you're sounding a very different then from Martin Samuel, who's caused a bit of a media storm uh, with his Daily Mail column from yesterday, Ken. It only requires an unscrupulous regime seeking victory at all costs. This is to potentially corrupt the process of... He's essentially making the point that you could get agents involved in trying to hawk players around for different international teams and there could then become inducements could could become involved and it might start getting quite seedy. He says, this is what happens if we take the nationalism out of national sport. If you make it too easy to pick up or abandon allegiance, it should be resolved at confederation level. How is he defining nationalism? Like, what, 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 what... Why should Jack Grealish identify with being Irish, whatever that means to him or anyone else, or being English? And even if you can come up with an answer there, why should that be the deciding factor in who he plays football Well, for? it seems that Samuel's point is there shouldn't even be an option. One of, the, one of the points he raises later on in the article is that there, UEFA should have a panel that sits to consider the status of any player who's not representing the country of his birth. So any time a player... If I, if I move to England, my son is born in England wants to play for Ireland, I wanted to play for Ireland, the two of us have to head over to UEFA to have, have little whoever he is uh, sit there in front of a panel and how, explain how Irish is. Like, how complicated would that process... Like, what an awful job to be in that panel. Can you imagine the different scenarios that you could be faced? With all the reasons that, that the parents move countries, children with no knowledge of what they're doing, moving countries at a young age several times, where their parents are born, where their grandparents are born, all things that have nothing to do with them. And then they 
have to sit with a panel, why not keep it exactly how it is? Why not have clearly defined rules that if your parents or your grandparents or you are born in a country, you are eligible to play for that country and wait for that country to select you? Well, the panel could be a very straightforward thing. It could just be, right, sit there, sing us your favourite Rebel song if you want to play for Ireland. And then if you can belt it out, that's you're in. If you struggle over a few of the words, oh, I don't know, are you... Are you particularly Irish? What did you make? I found when I, by the time I got to this Martin Samuel piece, there'd already been a lot of Irish people abusing him and saying how disgraceful this article was. Mm. So I, and when that happens, almost my natural inclination is to, well, hang on, I'm not, I'm not going to go with the flow here, as, yeah. Kev, as Kevin Grealish did and yeah. Jack Grealish did. I, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to analyse this, and I, yeah, I might even agree with Martin Samuel, but I read it, and the, the couple of points you've already raised sound ridiculous to me. There were two or three more there that, that were just, I thought, he can't necessarily ill thought out points he clearly thought about his column but they just seem plain wrong yeah well look I mean obviously Martin Samuel is a you know is employed by the Daily Mail to create debate let's say so it's no surprise you read um, a piece like this and you find some sort of tendentious views in it I mean there's one paragraph for instance he says um, essentially his point is oh you know um Eventually, what you'll have is a situation where FAs who don't who don't uh, who don't uh, give a hoot about uh, you know whether a player is really uh, you know in his heart feels as though he has a nationality that they represent. They just don't care about that. What what happens when they start bribing players? What happens when they start going around offering players under the counter inducements to play for you know for instance England? Um, who will benefit long term if not the wealthiest associations? And this is Martin Samuel. He's basically saying that's that's ultimately going to play into the hands of like the FA. You know, the FA got all this money. The FA, I don't have any money. Um, Ireland may win over Greenish, but imagine the howls if the position were reversed. If the FA stepped in to entice a young Irish footballer with a brummy grandfather to switch sides. Now, you could actually say that that sentence exactly describes what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. He is a young Irish footballer. In terms of he's played for Ireland a number of times, that makes him a young Irish footballer with a brummy grandfather. Well, apparently he's got a brummy grandmother, but his other three grandparents are all Irish, and they have just stepped in to entice him to switch sides. So that's exactly what's <laughs> in fact that is exactly what is happening here. Um, now, yeah, he happens to have you know an English accent. Uh, he grew up in England. You know, I mean, does that mean that you're automatically English? I mean, Kevin Kilbane has an English accent. You know, he grew up in England and. He doesn't. If you asked him, he'd say that he was yeah, Irish. Alan McLaughlin's another one. We spoke to him about his book last year. Who felt another player who who felt that just because he has an English accent, he was seen. You know, people are well. well are, are you really Irish? When he was brought up, feeling totally Irish as Kevin Gilban, uh, or certainly feeling like that, like an Irish identity was a big part of what yeah. they were. I mean, he uh, Martin Simon makes the point. Uh, the rules were intended. Now, I think always whenever whenever an English writer is writing about this, they're just not quite as familiar with these with these arguments and with these rules as, as anybody from Ireland. It's just you get a, you grow up with a certain sense of what this is all about, <laughs> which maybe is missing with the English. Uh, these rules were intended to help those without a choice, unable to play for their country of birth, but good enough to represent that of their ancestors. Now, I mean, that is just... That's insane. Yeah, that's he, nonsense. He, he's making out there that the only reason you wouldn't play for the country you're born in is because the country you're born in don't want you. And he quoted the example yeah. of Townsend, Andy Townsend, who I think didn't start his international career until his mid-twenties. So he's saying, well, in this example, it's clear he was unwanted by his country of birth, England. So what harm? Let him off. 
to the Irish team and get as many, many caps as he likes. But again, it's a very blinkered notion that it's where you're born is all that matters. Yeah, of course. That's and that, and that that seems to be it. It seems to be the whole that his, his whole argument is based on that. That anything else is just some. It's it, for reasons other than nationalism, mm-hmm. yeah. which don't stack up in my head at all. It, like it, it, it's just not. Families are made up in in. In, in far more different ways than simply going around thinking that they belong to the country that they happen to be born in. A lot of families are made up of people who are born in very different countries from each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, the, the whole question of national identity is a kind of a complicated thing. I mean, national identity is, you know, an imaginary construct anyway. It doesn't, doesn't, it's just a thing that exists in people's heads. You know what I mean? It's we're all just pieces of meat at the end of the day. So, you know, you, we have this idea of, you know, where we're from, what country we belong to. Most of the countries we think we belong to didn't even exist 100 years ago. You know what I mean? It's like if you look at the maps 100 years ago, they all look like you know quite different. 200 years ago, totally different. Um, you know, so he he makes a point in that article that as you know globalization, uh, the world sort of shrinks and people cross board, borders much more than ever before. This is all just going to get so much more confused. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it's going to get more confused. You will have more people with multiple, uh, you know, uh, qualifications, multiple possible. Allegiances. I mean, the entire idea of international football may increasingly be, begin to look a bit antiquated in a, in a world which is, which is like that. But in the meantime, Martin Samuel's solution is to have a panel, probably a neon, of a bunch of, of guys working for UEFA who are going to decide. Why not just leave it up to the person involved? I mean, I, my feeling on this is Jack Grealish is, is probably going to decide to play for England. I mean, if, if his dad said they went with the flow before, well, the flow is flowing. We can all see which way the flow is flowing now. So I'd say he probably will, uh, and fair play to him. And that know. may or may not be simply down to how Irish or English he feels. This is something that you alluded to earlier, Richie. There's, there are obvious benefits to a career. If somebody told Jack Reedish now he could be a 50-cap England international, that means he's going to have a very good career, very lucrative career. Uh, 50 caps for Ireland might necessarily make that much difference to the types of clubs that he... But well, 50 international caps is a pretty good deal no matter what. But my point being the sort of endorsements that are involved, the sort of prestige that's involved, and ultimately the sort of money he might make as an England international, if it worked out for him, would strike me as being in a different stratosphere to what an Irish international at a similar level might make. And and also the, the, the very straightforward thing of, well, I've got more chance of playing in big tournaments if I pick England than if I pick the Republic of Ireland. That's that that requires no further explanation. So even if it had nothing to do with endorsements and his, his transfer value and his profile and his wages, all of the things which rocket as soon as you become an England international, if a 20-year-old was going to say, well, listen, for football reasons, looking ahead at the Russia World Cup and the one beyond it and Qatar and all the others, if I pick England and I play regularly, I'm going to all those tournaments. If I pick the Irish team, I, I don't have that confidence. So for footballing reasons, you could make the argument as well. So this is, this is way more complicated than saying a fella should pick a country based on the, the location of the hospital he was born in. It's interesting that Martin Samuel wrote this piece and that so many of the English sports writers this week have been writing about this. Mm. I don't know, maybe it's just one of these stories that I seem to have read a lot more. Uh, I don't know if it's a fair representation of how much there has been, but it's, every second story that I see links to on Twitter... Uh, seem to be about Jack Grealish this week. If mm. any theory as to why it's exercising, it's clearly a huge deal for for us. But in the UK, where they've so many more football footballers to think about. Uh, well, I mean, he played really well in a big game, and there aren't many English players even playing in those games. Never mind playing well in them and, and playing decisive parts in them. So you can you can see why that's going to get some attention. Then there's the fact that there is this. Oh, hang on. What do you mean this guy's in English? 
uh, or might not play for England. Uh, so that's, I mean, maybe it's the first time a lot of people are hearing it. You mentioned earlier on what's probably another good reason is that uh, they all got knocked out of the Champions League. Um, maybe this week Martin Samuel would have been writing about, you know, Jose Mourinho's dark arts and how they, you know, once again got Chelsea into the semi final. But unfortunately, Chelsea were already out. So you've got to find something. Richie, I want to. I want you to give us a percentage chance that Jack Grealish will become a full Republic of Ireland international before you go. I think it's clear it's about 17%. 17% yeah. would be Irish international. Yeah. We'll leave you on that down now. Thank you. Cheers, lads. That about right for you again? Seventeen percent. I'd say. I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't be tempted. It's about, what's seventeen percent? About six to one, mm-hmm. five to five to one. It's about odds of five to one. I would say. No, uh, it's uh, more like between six and seven. <laughs> A couple of maths whizzes here. Well, uh, see, six tens again are sixty, and then six sevens are forty-two. So yeah. Got, yeah. So just just below six there. But it'd be five, that'd be five to one though, because you got to count the one as well. So it's dividing into six. numbers, man. I see. Well, I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> There's some people out there who do know the answer to this, and I have uh, turned off. Yeah, they're like, turned off their station. These idiots, you know, lazy, lazy, unbelievable. Anyway, uh, you're saying it's lower. I, I, I think so. To be honest, right. I, 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 I just there's a few things about it. I mean, I think that we should have tried to involve him in the senior squad. I think I don't think we should have been messing around with the under 21s. Well, we did try to involve him in one of the senior squads. Uh, for on a training basis, and he said no. Training. I think we should have put him put a cap on his head. On <laughs> that cap looks amazing on you. Uh, I mean, sweet talk the dad. You know, the dad loves being sweet talked. Instead, Roy Keane. You know, he Roy Keane. In fairness, s- spotted something about <laughs> about Kevin Greenish, right? He he said, I think that I think that now. I was there when Roy Keane said this. He said, you know, I think a lot of the problems there... Well, I don't even know. I can't even remember if he, if he used the word problems. But he said that he, he made it clear that, the, that Jack Reedish's dad was playing a role in this. Yeah. And I think maybe what Keane meant then, although could, felt he couldn't really say, um, and this is just my guesswork, I think that what Keane was saying is essentially the dad wants him to play for England. And if it wasn't for that, maybe he would be already in our squad. I do wonder if maybe we could have tried a bit harder. You know, we we talked about this uh, the other day on in terms of Martin O'Neill doesn't necessarily see it as his job to do that. He has in the past, though, gone to great lengths to get players that he wanted for him. I mean, I remember reading in Neil Lennon's autobiography the story of how Martin O'Neill came to his um, his hovel in uh, Crewe 
Hovel was the word that Martin O'Neill used to describe the filthy uh, apartment. Pizza which, boxes mm, just strewn all over the place. Drawing up the contract on the back of the pizza. I mean, essentially, he, he, he and John Robinson went up there to crew and wouldn't leave until Neil Lennon had agreed to sign for them. You know what I mean? That was back in the 90s, I suppose. Maybe things were, things were different then. Things were different then. You don't go begging players nowadays. You did back in the 90s. Although, the other thing about that negotiation was that Martin O'Neill, at every point told Neil Lennon that he was prepared to beat whatever money Coventry were offering him, which obviously you can't do. Coventry, the point there was in the, we're in the Premier League, and uh, Leicester, who O'Neill was trying to sign Lennon for, were in the first division. So it was you know something of a, a stunt to pull off for O'Neill. He managed to do it, although he did obviously offer more money. Sidlo, were Atletico Madrid a little too focused on the dark arts against Real last night, do you think? I think I think there is definitely uh, a case to to be made there because I think Atletico Madrid were were, were so conscious um, of not allowing Real Madrid to find a way through. Madrid didn't create a huge amount of chances, although of course Chicharito had had two very good opportunities before he got the one that that won the game. I felt that Atletico Madrid lacked a bit of ambition. It's curious because you look at their starting lineup, and the midfield at least was quite a creative one, but they, they denied themselves the ability to overlap at left-back with, with Gamet playing ahead of Cicada, and they lost control of the midfield, which they then affected. You then look at the changes, and Thiago makes way uh, for a central defender. Um, Raul Garcia goes on, and, and Gabi goes on. Both, both Raul Jimenez and Fernando Torres, two strikers, stayed on the bench. And, and I just wonder if they may look back on this and think, actually, this was an opportunity that we we didn't seize upon, considering that they're a team that had gone seven derbies without being beaten, considering that they'd beaten uh, Real Madrid 4-0 in a derby at the Calderon earlier this season. Um, I think that they probably were a bit over-defensive. That said, Real Madrid were very defensive, and Real Madrid did something that I thought was very interesting in terms of uh, approaching the game, was that they used Ramos to deny Atletico Madrid um, the two things that they do better than anything else. One is to run beyond the defence, because by having Ramos, you could have Varane, and no one outruns Varane. And the other, of course, was, was the ability in the air. And when you've got Varane, Pepe, Ramos and Ronaldo, even a team like Atletico Madrid is going to find it very, very difficult to create anything from corners or free kicks, or, as Ancelotti said, even from throw-ins. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, Diego Simeone is such an inspirational figure um, and has, has done amazing things with Atletico Madrid. But was there a glimpse there maybe of... of uh, I mean, so was Jose Mourinho once, is, is what I'm thinking. He was he was once a kind of Simeone-like figure. And I think a lot of people now think Mourinho is a little bit too in love with... Um, uh, with doing things in a in a kind of a in the worst possible way, and maybe a coach like this, a coach like Simeone, sometimes does get a little bit too, um, uh, you know. The, I mean, the the red card that they they got was kind of it seemed maybe a bit unjust at the time, but it was also symptomatic of their general approach to the game. Mm-hmm. That, that maybe yeah, this is I something mean, Simeone's got to discipline. Discipline has certainly been debilitating for them this year. They've had more yellow cards than anyone else in the Champions League. They've had key players miss key games consistently throughout the season. That said, I think without the intensity which runs that risk, they wouldn't be as good a side. Um, and I think it, it's interesting because in a way, Atletico Madrid have evolved this season. And Simeone, he's talking is different. Last year, it was all about effort and sacrifice. This year, he's talked in much more tactical terms about the way he's approached games. And it's, it's been much more convincing as a result. Um, but it, it it does feel like last night they, they, they didn't activate the two the two strikers. They didn't get Griezmann or Manchukic going. Now, as I say, I think part of the reason for that was that Sergio Ramos is quite 
strange deep right-sided midfield role was actually really him on Mandzukic for that long ball that Mandzukic brings down for others. Ramos was there to stop him. Griezmann running beyond the defence, well, he couldn't because Varane is even quicker than him. Um, but I, I felt they, they, they didn't really create uh, enough. And we're talking about two strikers who cost, cost a combined 50 million euros in the summer. It's not like Athletic who don't have good players, don't have people who can be creative. In, in Simeone's defence, maybe they were just nullified by, by, I thought, a really bright tactical approach, if a very defensive one from Real Madrid. But it, it does feel like they, they haven't done enough. And as I say, it's curious because it does come in the season which they have evolved. They have been a bit more expansive. They have recognised that they're confronting different types of teams this year, that they do have to um, do more than just counter-attack. And, and this time, I, I thought they got quite badly caught out. You mentioned Ramos there. I mean, that shows how, how maybe Real Madrid have changed in the past few years. When, when Jose Mourinho wanted to beef up the midfield, he often put Pepe there. Um, mm. Ramos is obviously a better footballer than Pepe. Um, he, he was the subject of criticism last night in the Irish uh, TV coverage of this Dietmar Hamann. Uh, was particularly unpressed, called him a disgrace uh, to the institution, the tradition of Real Madrid, um, you know, unworthy of the shirt and all this kind of thing. Uh, did, did it strike you that that was a particularly outrageous performance by Sergio Ramos in, in terms of, uh, you know, diving, cheating, uh, aggression? Getting involved as the euphemism. Uh, I mean, I mean honest, honestly, no, but I, I, I come at this from a, from a difficult position, which I think always happens after games like this. And that is that, of course, a lot of what happens, a lot of the kind of thing that, that, that Haman is picking up on is, is slowly. And so when you're in the stadium doing a match report and you're high in the stands, you probably don't see those kind of things as well as you lot watching at home do. Because you've got the television replays, you see it lots of times. For example, and at the Calderon even more so, because the view from the Calderon is, is abysmal, frankly, from where we do match reports from. Um, but I didn't really have a sense of that last night. I mean, Ramos is... He, he can play the dirty tricks. He can get he can get involved in that. But admittedly, you know, more so in games against Atletico Madrid than in other games. Partly because he's confronted by that kind of approach. Uh, I didn't genuinely didn't have a sense of, of Ramos being particularly out of order last night. Obviously, he was playing. In I mean, this is one way of looking at it, which which is obviously kind of tells you the different roles. He wasn't even playing as a deep lying midfielder last night. He wasn't playing as that that deep central defensive midfielder, what the Spanish described as a pivot. He was playing as what the Spanish described as an interior. In other words, Xavi Hernandez's position, or an Andres Iniesta position, or a James Rodriguez position, or an Isco position. And of course, that tells you this was a completely different type of right-sided midfielder looking for a completely different type of game. And part of that is that willingness, or perhaps even that enjoyment in not shying away from the nasty side of the game. Yeah, I, I haven't always been that big a fan of him as a player. I mean, he's, he's 19 red cards, and yeah, I've seen, he's, he's not exactly <clears throat> the, the most consistent defender I've ever seen, although he does have a lot of, he clearly has a, a lot of talent, a lot of ability. Is he, though, the kind of genuinely inspirational figure for his teammates that he so clearly believes himself to be? Do you, do you get the feeling that he actually carries them along uh, in his wake or, or is, it, is a lot of it just um, his own sort of posturing, a reflection of his own personality and his teammates? There's an, element, there's an element of posturing, but of course posturing affects the people around you as well. Posturing kind of rubs off on them, it can be contagious. And, and if you talk to, to Real Madrid players, they definitely see Ramos as a leader. And curiously enough, by the way, and well, maybe it's not curious, maybe it's obvious, they, they see Ronaldo as one too. Even even if he's perhaps a bit more individualistic, they see Ronaldo as a leader, someone whose competitive edge um, does carry them through games at, at times. Um, but with with Ramos, that that's certainly true, and, and he's much more of a leader, for example, than than, than Iker Casillas is, who's who's of course officially the captain. He's a guy that um, 
that they believe has a habit, and, and I've argued this lots and lots of times, and we've talked about this before, that Ramos has a habit of being a bit lackadaisical during the, the opening months of the season, but when it gets to when it really matters, he's he's there, he's aggressive, he's committed, he's he's carrying people through. There were a couple of moments last night when he was even waving at the fans to make more noise, which I always think is a little bit, as the Spanish describe it, as tribunero, you know, being a bit of a, a kind of a populist. It's a bit easy, it's a bit obvious. But that kind of thing can make a difference, because it does um, it, it does serve as a, as a stimulus, if you like, for, for players and also for some of the fans. And I think his teammates genuinely admire him. Even even back in the day when there was all those battles with, with Barcelona, even the Barcelona players admire him. Because one of the things they like about Ramos is that Ramos, and this sounds bizarre having talked about that other style of football that we saw last night, they don't think Ramos goes behind people's backs. They think he's straightforward. They think he's direct. They think he's honest. Certainly in the dressing room. Certainly in terms of the confrontation, he doesn't back away. He's he's not sneaky in that sense. Although he is sneaky, of course, in an elbow in here <laughs> and there. Senses, yeah. Javier Hernandez was even exhorting the crowd at one stage. Not as dominant a personality in that Real Madrid dressing room, although a bit of a an egomaniac. If Thierry Henry is anything to go by, we've been talking about this quite a lot today. Said I don't know if you caught Thierry Henry's criticism of Hernandez for, for being an individualist in celebrating his goal rather than pray, rather than running straight over to Ronaldo for setting it up. But just where is, uh, what w- will this be enough to save him at Real Madrid? Is there another season for him there? Or is he a guy on borrowed time uh, and this is going to be the only real high point for him? I think what will happen is that he will leave, but he will now leave as a hero. That's the difference. Um, I don't think it will change very much. For what it's worth in terms of the celebration, um, I didn't obviously didn't hear it live, but I've been, been told about it today and read about it. Um, it. It seems to me that when you score the goal that takes you through in an extremely tense game in the 88th minute against Atletico Madrid after a run of, of seven games in a row without beating them, when you've only started seven times all season, when you feel like you haven't been given an opportunity, when you've had two chances to, to win the game previously and not taken them, and you get that chance you score um, it seems to me that going absolutely mad is the logical thing to do isn't it I would have thought so Sid we'll leave it at that thanks a million my pleasure it's an interesting theory that Sid has there Ken that Sergio Ramos's posturing on the field rubs off on his teammates actually gives them a certain degree of yeah we're behind Sergio he's He's our, he's our alpha male. Yeah. He's the guy who's going to drive this forward. Rob Kearney did an interview with Jerry Thorny recently in the Irish Times. Kearney has to convey that sense of confidence to teammates as much as anyone else. That can be a little bit, bit misleading in terms of who you are and what you're trying to do, says Kearney. But sometimes there's a reason for that. Sometimes it might look as if, ah, look at your man, he's a bit of a strut at the back. But sometimes that's put on. So the other 14 guys around can take a little bit of confidence from that. Yeah. So Rob Kearney equals Sergio Ramos. Yeah, I think. In I a can, roundabout way. I can see a bit of that. I mean, uh, Ramos is a proper alpha dog type, you know, that that is what he's all about. I mean, he, the, we've talked about it at the time. His goal in the in the final last year was the one of the was the single most uh astonishing display of macho dominance I think I've ever seen in a football field. You know what I mean? It was just a header in one way, but <laughs> it was also like it really it, it it swung the balance of the whole game, not just because it was a late equalizer that took the game to extra time, but also it was like, we're not going to lose this. There's no way I'm walking off this field a loser. Um, it is, in fact, but, you know, I, I, I think he's also very much in love with that side of himself. And he, oh, you know, I find him... I find him a bit insufferable at times. Oh, I know. You, you have talked about him in the past. Yeah, but, but you can't I've greatly enjoyed then when he has done amazing things in the field. Yeah, as he you, often can't, does. you can't deny that he's, uh, he's, a, he's a good player. He does... Uh, He's not a perfect player, Owen, but he's a, he's a good player. Our latest show available, aside from this one, is uh, features the truth behind the sleeveless jersey worn by Meath's Trevor Giles 
in the 1999 All-Ireland winning run. If you are a football fan, a soccer fan that is, who doesn't watch Gaelic football and has no interest in that sport, that sentence would have made literally zero bit of sense to you. But if you do like Gaelic football, you'll know what we're talking about. Uh, plenty more on that show as well. If you want to have a listen at any stage, the usual channels there, iTunes, the uh, uh, SoundCloud, whatever way you want to do it, irishtimes.com forward slash second captain if you want to listen on the page there. That's it from this uh, particular edition of the show. Thanks, Kent. Thank you too, Owen. Uh, thanks very much for listening. We'll chat to you soon. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.